This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, everybody. This is the Cricket Badger podcast. Each badger marks the track with its own scent. His black legs are short but very powerful for digging. The name badger probably comes from the French word bêche, meaning digger. Hello, everybody. Welcome along to another edition of the Cricket Badger Podcast. Great to have you with me. I'm James. And thank you as well for all of your comments over the last few weeks on the Cricket Badger Pod. Much appreciated. It's always nice to get positive feedback and it encourages me to plough on and get some more great guests to your ears over the next few weeks as we go forward into whatever the new normal brings us. Thank you to tvsportsblog.com as well. Give their site a view and enjoy the great sporting content on there. Give them a follow as well, please, on Twitter at tvsportsblog. Thank you to them for their support of the Cricket Badger podcast over the last couple of months. And Cricket Badgers, I do listen to you. I put out on Twitter the other day, at cricket underscore badger, who would you like to hear from on a future edition of the Cricket Badger podcast? Had loads of responses to that, actually. I've written them all down and given me certainly uh, a little bit of work there and trying to contact a few of those. But one of the most requested people was cricket writer Paul Edwards, a very fine cricket writer, student of the game, big lover of county cricket. Gave him a ring and he's on this show. So stay tuned because we talk about all things cricket writing. We talk about county cricket. It was really good to see the front cover of the Cricketer magazine this month and how they're celebrating county cricket. We're all missing it. So I thought I'd give Paul a ring, get him on the podcast. We'll talk a little bit about the county game. And also right at the end as well, I've had a few emails over lockdown asking me for recommendations for cricket books. I'm not necessarily the right person to ask about that, but Paul Edwards certainly is. If you stay tuned right until the very end, he'll give you some terrific recommendations of cricket books that have meant a lot to him. So on this edition, it's cricket writer Paul Edwards. I think you'll agree, great guest, and his love of the game certainly shines through. So let's hear from him on this edition of the Cricket Badger Podcast. It's that Badger style. Sometimes when you hear people say on a podcast, by popular demand... 
they're making it up because they're trying to make you think that this person's fantastic. But I put on the Twitter feed, the at Cricket underscore Badger Twitter feed the other day, who would you like to hear as a future guest on the Cricket Badger podcast? And more than one person, and in this instance it doesn't mean two, said Paul Edwards, cricket writer and journalist. And I'm happy to say he's on the other end of a, a telephone line now. And I'm about to say, how are you, Paul? I'm absolutely fine, James, and flattered by this un- totally unexpected popular acclaim. But... Uh... Happy to be with you today. <laughs> we we um, obviously share a love of cricket. We share a love of writing. We share a love of uh, all, all things in that ilk. But let, let's start yeah. at, the, at the very start with you. Obviously, you're known for your writing about cricket now. But what was it about cricket that made you fall in love with the sport? Gosh, what a question. Oh, Lord. It is, the, it is the simple truth that when I was, before I was conscious of many things, you know, that you're, you're aware of sort of scores and things like that. Well, it is true. My, my parents, Told me this, and people people should believe it because it does happen to be the truth. But if if uh, if they wanted to shut me up, and the cricket came on, and this is very much black and white days, and you know, edit an hour of play every morning on BBC, and the Test cricket came on, and they just sat me in front of the TV, I'd watch. Um, I'd be quite happy and 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 silent, and utterly transfixed by what was going on. But it was love at first sight. Um, and love at first conscious sight as well. I, I remember, for example, Colin Cowdery coming out to bat at Lords with a broken arm in 1963, and David Allen of Gloucestershire facing the last two balls of, the, of that great test against the West Indies, and my first county championship match. I mean, I really am. You know, we really are talking infant school stuff now. Was Lancashire against Derbyshire at Southport? in 1965 and i now live 600 yards from that ground so i was i was lost to cricket before i knew it and it was a whole fascination of the thing really the numbers the for sure the 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 curious architects of the stumps everything these huge you know they were so so easily disarranged the notion of bales everything about it absorbed me and I, I can honestly say that I've never found, I've never watched a game of cricket from which I could take nothing. And I don't think I've ever watched a game and been bored by it. So you know, I'm, afraid, I'm afraid it's a life sentence. I'm right on the same sort of life path, really, because I, I went to my first game when I was very, very young. And just that, that was yeah. in Canterbury, actually. Just the smells of the cigarette smoke and the tobacco smell wafting around the stand in those days and um, the little chatter about, about the crowds. And I always despair, Paul, of people that say, oh, I don't like cricket, it's boring. Because I think that's more reflective on them as a person than it is on, on their life choices, really. Because there is so much depth to cricket. You kind of mentioned a few of the aspects there, but so many layers yeah. of the cricket onion, aren't there, that you can peel back and always discover something new. You know, and, and as you just said, really... Every game's different, isn't it? There's, you don't get any kind of template to a game of cricket. They're all different. There is, there is something different to every game of cricket. But I don't tend to... I've met a number of people who, when they find out that, that I'm a cricket writer, say um, in, in, in fairly uh, frank terms that I wouldn't dream of using on the, on the radio, that, um, that cricket bores them. And I say, well, that's all right. That's your, t- that's your take on it. Everyone is different. And if people want an all-action game, then, then cricket is, is not for them. You know, there's that famous comment, oh, hackneyed, I suppose, now, I think of um, Groucho Marx watching a game of cricket. 
and he, he, the, the, the thing um, got underway and he watched it for five minutes and turned around and said, has it started yet? <laughs> uh, uh, because it was, it was so slow by his terms, by terms of, I suppose, baseball or something like that. But there is, I, I like the idea of the, so many pieces, so many uh, skins, as it were, to the, to the cricket onion. That's exactly right. And there are so many different things that appeal, that appeal, so many different aspects of it that appeal to, to different people. The, I've mentioned the statistical side. There's also the, the aesthetic side. There's the technical side. I'm not sure that any game probes those three depths, the technical, the aesthetic, the statistical, with quite the depth that cricket does. And the other point that I'd make, because I've, I, I wrote a piece about this only the week before last, is that no, no, you mentioned about Canterbury, and absolutely, I mean, I can just imagine the cigarette smoke wafting around the uh, the, the woolly stands and all the rest, and, and Les Ames. And um, no game is as dependent on its environment as cricket, apart, I suppose, from golf, because with golf you actually play the environment. And in a way, you play the course. In cricket, of course, any cricketer that you speak to, if you ask them about a game, any professional cricketer would start talking about the wicket. And so it's that environment. Every cricket ground is different too. Every cricket ground has its own particular magic. And there isn't one that, I have, that, 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 I've, uh, that I've visited that I haven't found remarkable, including, absolutely including club, club cricket grounds in that, because I love Cricket Badger Podcast is brought to you in association with tvsportsblog.com. Excellent sporting content. It's well worth a look and give them a follow on Twitter at tvsportsblog. If this was Desert Island Discs, Paul, and I was to allow you to take one or two cricketers to that Desert Island Disc so you could admire them playing on the beach in front of you and, and keep cricket in your in your vision, who would you take with you? I, when you say playing on the beach, I'm actually going to take them uh, as ever. You're going to give me a an instruction, and I'm going to slightly, slightly, well, I think extend it, really. <laughs> I'm going to take them to a particular ground, and I suppose there are so many. Of course, it's, uh, it, it's thanks for this impossible question. I would like to take Jon Snow bowling to Tom Graveney at a ground in, I've said a lot about this recently, at a ground in North Devon called Instow, which is the ground, David Shepherd's home ground. It's as near as any cricket ground I know to the beach. It's the home of, as I say, North Devon Cricket Club. Its pavilion is um, great to listed. And it's got the richest atmosphere of any cricket ground I know. And Tom Graveney was always one of these marvellously artistic and also fallible an enormously skillful batsman, something like 47,000 first-class runs in a career. And John Snow, of course, a, a fast bowler at the, sometimes at the mercy of his moods. I think Snow bowling to Graveney at, at, at Instow, I, I think it would take a lot of that to knock me over, as they say. But I could pick out 50 other pairs and 50 other grounds with, with, with the greatest of ease. When was it you first put pen to paper and started writing about cricket and, and when did you actually realise you could make a little bit of money out of it and it could be 
it could become something a little bit more serious? Well, I was originally trained as a teacher. I'm going to answer this question. I was originally trained as a teacher, and I did a little bit of writing in very much an amateur and part-time capacity when I was doing that job. My first paid cricket writing, I am quite closely involved with the recreational game, and I became secretary of my local club in Southport. And along with that job, I had to write the weekly cricket reports on the club's matches for the local paper, the Southport Visitor. And that would be in 1992. And I also, at that time, would, would send, would, in the old days of copy takers, I would have to phone up someone at the Liverpool Echo and read out the scorecard for them, for which I was paid uh, £14 for each scorecard, which is decent money, actually. That's not bad. For, for, for 15 minutes' work, still, frankly. But, um, and that would be the first time that, I, that I'd made a little bit of money because I was paid to write the reports for the visitor. And given that the reports I wrote were truly execrable, I, um, I, I was quite lucky. Well, that was, that was an apprenticeship. I date the start of my professional. I used to work for other small newspapers. I even worked online in the early days of, um, in the early days of this century, doing a thing about Lancashire. Um, and that was, you really is the old days of HTML and stuff. But, um, I was a care, I, I don't quite like the term very much, but nonetheless, I was a carer for my mother for eight years. And when that ended in 2004, I began to think about writing about cricket more professionally. And to my immense astonishment, got covered a game um, between Lancashire and Kent at, at Old Trafford pretty much within about six weeks of within you know, six weeks, within about three weeks of making myself available. And it was a huge stroke of luck. Uh, and everyone needs that luck, I think. Every, in, in a writing career or maybe any other sort of career um, as well. Sometimes you just need things to fall for you. And for me, they did. I mean, I'd already, let, let, me, be, let me say, I'd already played one hell of a lot of cricket for, in club and university. And I'd been, my, I'd been cricket secretary at Southport for, well, that would be 12 years. Um, then. So I was utterly immersed in the game and immersed in its history and reading about it without ever really thinking that this might be something that, that, that I could make a career out of. And in many respects, I don't mind coming to cricket writing late. I, 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 I think it's important to get roundings in other, to, to understand other worlds rather than simply to become obsessed with cricket. There are cricket boards in this world and I steer clear of them. There's other things in the world besides cricket and most of the books in this flat are not about cricket. I, I'm glad this uh, podcast is called the Cricket Badger Podcast and not the Cricket Bore Podcast. Um, and ho- hopefully it stays that way. Yeah, I, sure. <laughs> I, I had Mike Selvey on the podcast um, a couple of weeks ago, Paul, and we talked a little bit yeah. about writing. Because um, obviously Mike was player turned writer. And mm. he, he said something quite interesting towards the start of that chat, which uh, struck a chord with me a little bit. I've sort of dabbled in writing a, a, a bit myself. And mm. who, who he was writing for. And he said when he first started writing, he was writing to try and impress people. And then he started writing 
to try and be chatty and conversational and, and to just do a good job. Can you kind of relate to that? And when, when you sit down, I mean, I, I think you're a very good writer. I, I like your turn of phrase. I like the way you put things across at times. Who are you writing for? Mm-hmm. Are you writing to satisfy yourself? Are you writing for the end user or are you writing to impress people? I'm writing to reflect the day's cricket I've just seen as well as I possibly can. So what you write has got to reflect what you've seen rather than any interpretation you wish to, wish to impose on it. I've lost count of the number of times when I've had some um, anecdote or reference that occurred to me before lunch in a day's cricket and found that by tea time I um, I've ditched it because it hasn't reflected the rest of the day. Now, there are occasions where you would pick out a particular inning. For example, um, I suppose in, in, in his early years, and I'll always find myself referring to this young man and wish him all the best for his time at Nottinghamshire. There are times when you, when I, when I was watching Hattie Van in 2016 that I thought this is remarkable stuff. This is, this is a composure in a young person. Uh, but you, it's interesting what, what Mike Selby said. I can relate to quite a lot of that. I suppose, yes, impressing people. But it, it should never, your references should never be gratuitous. They should be complimentary. I should add, by the way, though this is serendipitous, that um, I, I saw Mike Selby's first test match in 1976, that famous test against the West Indies at Old Trafford. Yeah. And I watched every ball of that, including um, Michael Holding bowling to John Edrich and, and Brian Close on the Saturday evening. And that was a, that was a that was a match and a half. But uh, yes, yeah, Selby took three wickets on, the, on that first morning. Uh, but I, I relate to it to an awful lot of it. it. It's all you are always always learning. You're never lecturing people. You're just saying, look, this is what I've seen, and that what I've seen is what's important. And I'll try and tell you what it was like as clearly as I, as I can. Yeah, it, it, it's a matter of fidelity, really. It's a matter of fidelity to the cricket you've seen and also to a fidelity to whatever sort of writer you are. Don't try and be any other sort of writer because, you, 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 frankly, there's been one of those. There's been one with Jim Kilburn. There's been an R.C. Robertson Glasgow. Don't try and ape those because otherwise you'll end up a pretty poor imitation of them. Be the writer you are and whatever and, and, and see what happens as a result of that. Fed up of collecting your team's match day subs? Worried about carrying cash post-COVID-19? Try slateapp.co.uk Less contact than contactless. Slate, the smartest way to collect weekly match fees and more. Download the app, slateapp.co.uk. Not just for cricket, any clubs that collect subs. It just makes sense. Stick it on the slate. Slateapp.co.uk Let's move on to county cricket. I know it's a big love of yours and, and of mine. Um, this summer has not been the summer that we, we had hoped for with county cricket. It's going to take a, a massive financial hit. But if we can just kind of, I know it's difficult too, but try and ignore that for just a second. How, how do you see mm-hmm. the health of county cricket if you take COVID out of the equation? Did, did you think it was doing doing well? Do you think it had a long and successful future? Or do you think it needs to modernise and move with the times? I think that county cricket still offers an enormously enriching experience to far more supporters of the game 
than is popularly recognized. There's a phrase used by my colleague, George Bell a few years ago that I think still has resonance, that county cricket could be of such service to English cricket and the England team if only people loved it a little bit more. And one thing that I will say is at a time when the hierarchy are getting quite a lot of stick, one of the most encouraging things I've read was, was Tom Harrison's statement of um, commitment, really, to the 18 first-class counties in a, in a recent interview in a cricket magazine. Now, I hope it stays uh, faithful to that. I've got no reason at the moment necessarily to think that, that he will not. I think that the obviously it's not going to pay for itself in you know, the, the championship is not going to pay for itself. So he won't pay all the bills. Everyone knows that. He needs the short forms. But I think the counties are learning. That counties are the bright people of the counties who are learning how to turn a penny. Of course, they need the money for the the, the ECB handouts. Of course, they need those. But since they provide the players for the test matches anyway, which uh, which make that money, it's only decent that they do get that back. That uh, share of the revenue. But I, what I've noticed is the uh, the way in which counties are using their facilities, and of course the last few months have been a disaster for them, the way the counties are using the facilities, maximising the corporate hospitality, particularly out of the cricket season, and the way that they are adjusting and adapting. And what's been interesting to me, and vaguely paradoxical in the sense of the one of the most traditional forms uh, when we're talking about four-day cricket is how many people watch county matches when they are streamed. How many people listen to radio commentary? They can't get to the game because they're working, but they can listen to 20 minutes or uh, when they're in their offices if they get time to do so. Maybe even longer. Who knows how how hard-working they are? Well, they can, or they can listen to the the CBC or whatever broadcast when they're um, when they're at home. I think far more people are interested and still committed to county cricket than is generally recognised. No, they are not. Obviously, it faces enormous challenges in the in the years uh, to come. It always has, to be honest. It always has been probably right well, has for about sixty years since attendances began to. Attendances began to decline in the early, the early 1950s. Um, I was, I was writing about a game when Warwickshire won the championship in 1951 and they played Yorkshire, who in that, that year were, I mean, it was a transition year for Yorkshire and they finished as runners up. But there, there was a three day game at Edgbaston, which more or less decided the title. And Leslie Duckworth, the, the great uh, authority on Warwickshire cricket who wrote one of the great county histories, uh, people can get hold of that. It's a cracking book. About uh, 500 pages, but it's, there's not much that's dull in it, I'm telling you. The attendance for that game in 1951, Duckworth estimated over three days was 53,000. Uh, those days are gone, and they're not coming back. But I think counties are adjusting and proving themselves tougher um, and more adaptable than people believe. But they still need it. They're still going to need all the help and all the support 
and all the dis- and all the defence from people who would like to rip up the whole model. They're going to need all the defence that we can that we can muster. And I'm perfectly happy to have the county's backs while they're doing it. I agree with everything you just said there. One of the things that really annoys me about modern day cricket and supporters, and we see, you know, obviously see a lot of that on social media, is how people describe the ECB's um, handout in inverted commas as, as a subsidy or as a gift or as, as something that uh, is there to prop up the counties. The counties actually earn that money. Um, they do a lot mm. of work for the ECB and, as you say, provide the players and provide a lot of support in terms of the marketing and, and what have you with the events. And obviously, as somebody that used to work inside a cricket club, I've seen that firsthand. So um, I, I think as well, I mean, well you, you mentioned the streaming side of stuff. The I, I think there's a, there's a challenge for cricket, I think, to maybe monetize um, the and I hate that word as well, but the, to monetize the audience that you spoke about, that hidden audience that's hidden away in offices or driving a car or doing something that's set, but still checking on the scores and trying to find out what the county's doing and trying to actually get some money from those people and whether that's selling a streaming service to to people, which might include the test matches as well, but also include the county side of stuff. Um, there are a lot of people. I mean, as I say, I used to I used to control the websites at Yorkshire Cricket and I used to see the, the stats of how many people were tu- tuning in to see. Um, how Yorkshire were doing that day or reading the match reports and they, there are a lot of people that do that there are a lot of people that care about county cricket that don't necessarily put those bums on the seats yes there are and uh, I, I just wonder I'm not sure I think if you ask people to pay for it I mean you, you, you're you not good radio is free for one thing I think it, uh, to ask people to pay for um, video streaming is one thing but you're never going to get people to pay for radio commentary because it's a lo- it's a long year since we needed a, a license for a radio um, a radio set. Yeah, totally. It, well, God, radio set. That sounds like some something out of the 1960s. Oh <laughs> uh, yes, a, a wireless receiving set. But um, the I, I think the counties might have to judge the money they'd gain against the goodwill that they'd lose. Now, goodwill, you know, you can't pay. Um, a county professional with goodwill, nor indeed, and I think this is just something I wanted to add to, 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 to what you said, nor can you pay for an academy, nor can you pay for a, a second 11 or all the junior teams that the, count, the counties run that, whose matches are almost never reported and yet are absolutely vital for the, to the development of the, 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 the game. I always remember a T20 match that I was covering I think it's a quick info that I that I was covering, and I T um, Twenty match Lancashire Yorkshire at Headingley, which all which is always quite quite a quiet and tranquil affair, and that was on the Friday night, and on the Saturday morning I had this idea that what I'd like to do is cover the Yorkshire Academy playing a game uh, in the in the league, and I did, and I travelled to Barnsley, Shaw Lane, I think I'm right, great that's day, right. yeah, that's right. Yeah, I travelled to Shaw Lane and to, to watch the, the Yorkshire Academy. And who was captaining the Yorkshire Academy? But Matthew Fisher, who the previous evening had been playing for um, Yorkshire in the T20 match. And I, I was just in, in, enormously impressed by that. And when I looked, I, I was, I've, I've been trying to tidy up the flat, and as, as we all have over, well, not, well, not over, I'm trying to tidy up my flat, but we've all been trying to tidy up our... <laughs> places over the last few months. I came across the scorecard for that game and there were about four or five Yorkshire cricketers. Uh, Matthew Waite, Logan, lots of, uh, a lot of cricketers playing for the academy then. 
uh, in that game who've since had since got careers in the game. Uh, and I thought, yeah, this is it. this is something that's really worth doing. And that's something else that the counties do. I'm not sure about monetizing uh, video. You have to. You probably need to do a few polls of the uh, of those who 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 do who do watch the the, the video stream. What what I thought was Paul, you could do something which maybe involved the, the the streaming service. But as we know, as we've said, you know, county championship you get so many days of county championship cricket in the season, and they are well attended at times and not so well attended at, at other times depending on where you are in the country and where you are in the fixture calendar but a lot of people like to go to maybe one or two games a season just sit in the sun for yeah. a couple of days because that's all their work really allows them to do so if you actually gave out some packages where you got the streaming service you maybe got a discount in the club shop and you got a couple of tickets for a, a day of your choice at your county because that's all you you really wanted to do it's not worth your while actually buying the full membership that's a, a, yeah. a way in, isn't it? Of le- maybe a, a slightly lesser membership, which includes people and gets more people in the, involved in the club. I've not heard that before. I think it's a very good idea. I think I, I do think it's a good idea, and I think the idea of giving giving people and what we might term an occasional membership, which includes those discounts at the club shop, and I think you'd have to throw in a couple of uh, fifty over games yeah. and even a couple of T Twenty matches. Which are easier to sell, but there's not too many T20 matches that are complete sellouts. Certainly not at the test grounds, as we know. They're, they're well attended, but yeah, I've been I've been at T20 games where there's only been a thousand or so. I've never I can honestly say this is what drives me up up the wall. Is I've never been at a county match where there've been fifteen or twenty people. Perhaps if you if they end up playing, you know, there's a rain delay, and they they end the umpires say, you know, well we've got half an hour at the end of the day. Then you've got a smattering of people, but far that, that's, more. That's been my biggest bugbear during lockdown. Is when we've been talking about bringing cricket back behind closed doors, and people say, "Well, it's not going to affect the championship." Nobody, nobody goes to that yeah. anyway. That's just a, it's just a throwaway, really lazy line for me. It's, it's, I, I didn't find that yeah, joke funny. In terms of no, the 18, it, it, 18 counties, Paul, the um, I mean, the geographical spread that those eighteen counties yeah, give sorry. cricket, and obviously the minor counties just underneath that as well. You mentioned the likes of Matthew Fisher coming through Yorkshire, but every county club mm. has got their own versions of that. That that. Mm. So that is a real reason to keep 18 counties, isn't it? Because it gets the tentacles out there and, and keeps bringing these kids through. It absolutely does. And it, it absolutely does in relation to the minor counties. Uh, sorry, we're both referring to them as minor counties. And they're actually now we've been rebranded as the national counties. Not that I think that makes too much difference, but never mind. I didn't know that. Actually. And it's absolutely... Oh, yeah, it has. They're, well, they were last year, but... Um, I, 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 obviously, the publicity campaign for the great success because <laughs> we both forgot it. The, the interesting thing is that how many of the national counties provide players for the first-class counties, and I think this is absolutely fine. I don't have the least problem with this. Uh, the, in a sense, you have counties that are feeders for the first-class counties because otherwise, if you're, if you say, oh, we've got. If, and I'm using Worcestershire for a, a reason that will become apparent in a moment. If you say, oh, you know, we're really trying to recruit players from well, Worcester or Beecham or the, the only within the counties of, only principally within the counties of Worcestershire, then you are denying it. So the county would be denying itself the services of people like Jack Chantry or people like uh, Joe Leach and many other. You know, well, I know Joe Clark moved on now to um, Nottingham. 
but um, many other players that the minor counties produced. Now, there was a, there was a huge kerfuffle in, in Lancashire, as there normally is once a season in Lancashire, uh, last year about them playing a game at Bedford, which geographically at the moment is in Cumbria, and it was in the Yorkshire Dales National Park and all this stuff. I don't see, I didn't have any problem about that. Mind you, I wasn't half by the fact that that was the most spectacular ground on which I've ever watched first class cricket. I, I'm just going to butt um, in next. Just before I phoned you, I, I watched a little YouTube yeah. video of you being interviewed on the on the pitch side at Sedbury. And <laughs> I, I've, yeah. I've never been to Sedbury, and by heck, it looks fantastic. Oh, mate, it's magnificent. Anyone, anyone, whether they, it is, it is the most spectacular of environments in which to watch the game. A lot of people try to compare it to Arundel, but Arundel, outground, every outground is like itself and nowhere else. There is a hard, tough beauty about Sedbury. And, the, but the point I was going to make, if I might, is that I, is that I do think that Worcestershire should, I know they've got a great second ground at Kidderminster, but, uh, Worcestershire should think about taking a game or two to Shropshire. I'm interested that one of the disappointments in this current year is that Somerset, I mean, I know these were warm-up games, they were going to, they were going to play 50 over, a 50-over game against Cornwall at Truro and another 50-over game against Devon at Exmouth, I think. Might have been Sidmouth, but don't hang me for that. And I think the idea that the first-class counties should take games to their to their to their feeder county, the feeder county is probably a bit too uh, a bit too disrespectful to the national counties. Devon is Devon is a magnificent cricket county and in, 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 proudly independent and um, wonderful for that too. But the idea that those games should go to these grounds, I think, is only appropriate given the people like Lewis Gregory, for example, who that that that, that county is for. Uh, Provided uh, for for some of that, so I think you know I think the 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 that outreach of the county, and of course, if next year we don't know what the structure is going to be, we don't know what the structure is going to be in the next six weeks. So we certainly haven't got a clue about next year. But if you're playing county championship matches at the same time as the hundred takes place, then you're going to have to make use of your outgrounds, and it would be it'll be interesting to see where counties like Lancashire, Nottinghamshire, Yorkshire probably would go to Scarborough, I would guess. But where Lancashire, Nottinghamshire, you know, Wales have got some cracking outgrounds, where those counties go. I'm, I'm really pleased you said that because one of my next questions actually was involving outgrounds. I mean, I've given you my theory about memberships mm-hmm. and maybe a, le- a slightly lesser membership, but um, when we're talking about county championship and, it, and its longevity and maybe getting a few more bums on seats if we can. I, I was going to suggest to you, and you've kind of half already gone down that route already, that to maybe add a little bit more life into the championship fixtures, what is wrong with taking uh, maybe even 80% of the uh, county's home games in the championship to outgrounds? I mean, you mentioned Yorkshire there. They've now got a relationship with Bradford and at York and Scarborough, as you mentioned. Mm. And Scarborough, as you know, gets a, a big, big crowd um, on a sunny day in, in, a, in a, on a July fixture in the in the festival there, um, Lancashire's, Lancashire's got outgrounds, you know, and and in a, in a way 
taking it to an outground and giving that outground its one week in a year where it gets first class cricket makes it an event and, and makes people go to it maybe slightly more so than having to journey to Head- Headingley or Old Trafford. I think it does make it an event, and that's exactly right. You don't want the county county matches to be routine. I think if I would defend the current practice of maybe just having a couple of outground games, or maybe maybe three in certain cases, I know that Glamorgan played three games away from Cardiff last year, but Glamorgan are the first-class county of Wales. I think if I was to take slightly the, the, the contrary line, I'd say, I'd, or at least the, the cautionary line, I'd say that you've got to have the wicket for four-day cricket. And that involves a lot of investment by the county. Now you say, well, it's justified, and I would probably agree with you. But if the wicket's not good enough, I mean, that's something I do remember saying when I was at Sedra. Um, and I, I know that counties outgrounds have lost games because the wicket is, is, is unpredictable. Well, that was, well, that was one of the reasons, I mean, a lot of Yorkshire people, because, I mean, as you know, Yorkshire is a huge county, and a lot of the yeah, yeah. people in its extremities were saying, well, why don't you bring cricket to here and to Sheffield and to wherever, because um, it's so it's such a long journey to get to Leeds to watch a, watch a game. But because those grounds had been lost to the county, in a way, and the standard of those grounds had dropped, the wickets were yeah. not of a standard, like you say, to actually play first-class cricket on. And the last thing you want to do is go to an outground and see two teams bowled out for 36 on day one and the pitch inspectors mm. be called, isn't it? So, yeah, there is definitely that caveat that you need, it needs to be of a certain standard. But one of the things it might bring, I mean, talking about the wickets as well, it might bring a little bit of a variety um, into county championship cricket because we've seen that the, the main grounds, that the wickets have become a little bit samey, haven't they? And Yeah. Whereas if you if you go to some of the outgrounds, maybe one's known as a seam or one's known as a batsman's paradise, and the next week you go to one where it's a, a spin-friendly wicket, it might just add a little bit of difference to it. Well, that's certainly true of the ground you know, where I play most of the cricket, which is Southport, which is spin-friendly for sure. And it would add a little bit of variety. It would test players. And I think that idea of challenging and testing them is fine. I think, I think however, you've got to ensure that there is not excessive the uh theme movement on the on the first as far as you can from the wicket or excessive turn on the first day and you will you've got to have consistency of bounce. I think that consistency of bounce is quite essential to um outground cricket. The other the other point I was going to make in defence of, of the as it were the county um officials is that they've got? Is that it does sometimes take money? It does sometimes cost money to take games to outgrounds. Uh, well, it does always cost money to take games to outgrounds, and you've got to ensure that. Um, well, it's, uh, I've wrote, I've written plenty of pieces in which I've argued again against this and said, well, the, the value uh, can't be can't be monetized. You can't just say that it is. So in a way, I'm tying myself. Not what I'm really saying is that there are is that there is a difficult balancing equation yep. to be understood before you take a game to an outground. And I mean, Yorkshire are I think fortunate in, in their outground in that they now have York as well, where they were going to play some 50 over cricket this year. Uh, Lancashire, I think, are fortunate. Also fortunate in their outgrounds. Some counties have thought to develop outgrounds. I know Warwickshire are thinking of doing so, and Nottinghamshire 
are are thinking of doing. So Middlesex have got out ground, but they need to. But, but, but there, I think the wickets at one or two of Middlesex is out ground. Frankly, you know, you wouldn't get a result if you played for seven days. But um, so that's a problem. That's that's a problem too. I'm probably being a bit unfair to some of Middlesex without ground. I apologise. Just to round up the chat on, on county cricket, the 18 mm-hmm. counties, we've said how, how important we, we feel they are, and I, I, I love the 18 counties, they all bring something different to the table, but if you were a betting man, Paul Edwards, and I gave you a mythical tenor and said, would we still have 18 counties in 20 years' time, where would you put your money? 20 years' time? It would depend something that has been buried very deep within me, not to bet on the 18 counties still being there in 20 years' time. I, I, I hope I you... Think could... I, I would... I hope I'm right too. And uh, people, the hard heads might say, hang on, are you really sure in the case of this one or that one? I think you still have the 18 counties. Are you saying, are you, are you, will, will we still have the 18 counties playing first class cricket? That, that's, the, um, that's, the, that's the, yeah, that's the um, kind of just behind the question. Yeah, I'm, well, yeah, you see, but they, you could have 18 playing T20. I will, I'll, I'll, I'll put my money where my heart is. And bet on the fact that we will. Well, I wish I wish sport was run like that. I think if sport was run from the heart rather than the uh, the checkbook, it might be a, a, a happier world at times. But uh, um, yeah, well, let, let's hope. Yeah, you, let's hope you're right. You can't pay the tax man in emotional commitment, though. Unfortunately, <laughs> I've tried. I've tried. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Let's finish off this chat, Paul. I know you're a big bookworm. We were talking before pressing record about how you spent lockdown uh, reading through your library of various cricketing yeah. books and what have you. I've been contacted over the last uh, few weeks, actually, of people saying to me, any great cricket books out there that you could recommend? One in particular, I mean, I don't know if this is something you can actually pull out the fire, but one in particular said he was fascinated by the, the rivalry between the West Indian islands and uh, how that's kind of manifested itself down the years and um, how West Indies became great and kind of the, the fractious nature of those islands at some times. Um, so I don't know whether yeah. you can pull one of those out of the fire. But I, I thought the, a nice way to end this podcast would be to maybe for you to say five books that mean something huge to you that you would recommend to the listeners. You, you begin with the West Indies, and I could probably pick out three books linked to West Indies cricket. But you know, one of them is generally regarded as Many people say the best book that they've been written about cricket, but I, I don't go into the best. I mean, these things are so subjective. I just don't do that. On what day, in what mood? The, an- the answer is following so, on in the footsteps of Cricketing Fathers by James Butler. So there's, it's not even a debate. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, quite. But, well, sorry, I, I leave that out as, as, as the sort of ever. But, um, but what I was going to say is that, um, you know, I think who's the, be- who's, who's the best painter, for heaven's sake, you know. C.L.R. James, Beyond the Boundary, is um, a very fine cricket book indeed, and it's more it's more uh, mentioned by people as being the best cricket book, I suspect, than has actually read it, because they've just been told it is. And I still think that that book stands, absolutely stands the test of time without even the, the, the quiver of an eyelid. It's absolutely magnificent. The, the other books on the history of West Indies cricket, I think, have been remarkably well served recently by a historian called Hilary Beckles, who has done a lot of work on the, the role of the island and the way in which the early West Indian teams were frankly picked. Um, you know, if, you, if, you, if the game was being played in Bridgetown, then there was a riot if there weren't enough Barbados or Bajan cricketers in the side. The other book is 
the the cricket writer I, who I suppose means much most to me is a chap called Alan Ross, and he wrote a book called The West Indies at Lords about that 1963 test. It's curious how circular these discussions can be. And The West Indies at Lords is actually quite a short book. It's probably about 140 pages. But it's, and, and it's 140 pages about pretty much about one cricket match, and that's majestic. You asked about other books that I would recommend. There's been one author that I've gone back to time and again over the last few months when I've been delving into the history of the game and writing about great teams and great occasions. And that, that author is David Cook, who is based very much in the West Country. I don't think David Foote has ever covered a test match in his life or wanted to. He's written about Somerset and he's written about Gloucestershire cricket and his profiles of cricketers. Not, I mean, he's written great biographies as well, as well as Harold Gimlet and Wally Hammond. But his profiles of cricketers in two books, Beyond the Batting Ball and Fragments of Idolatry, are, I think, as good as you can come across. I mean, people talk about the great, you know, the great writers, Cardos, and this, that, and the other. I'm fine. Now, of course, they're, of course, they're, they're, some of that work is magnificent. But I think David Foote's two books uh, show an understanding of county cricket, and again, we come back to, to, to what's been the prevailing theme. Um, I think those two books, Beyond Bat and Ball, Fragments of Idolatry, Fragments of Idolatry, again, it's not, not only about cricketers, I should point out. It's about cricket writers, it's about rugby coaches, it's about boxers as well. It shows a human empathy and understanding that seemed to me to be quite the equal of, of, of any other cricket writer I've come across. The, the, the one other book I'd throw in is, or books I would throw in, are the, which I think, again, these were written Spells. These were written uh, 70 or 80 years ago, some of them. R.R.C. Robertson Glasgow's cricket prints, 700 words on one player. You know, often, you know, one of the great players of the, of, of, the, of that particular era, you know, someone like Hammond or, or McCabe or Stan McCabe of Australia. And R.C. Robertson Glasgow nails them in 700 words. They're pretty useful. Um, if, uh, at times, the cricket writers chase me experiences to see how well they're done. So, putting Robertson Glasgow would do for me today. That's really interesting, and I'm sure that's helped quite a, lo- a number of people out there who can uh, now have a, have a bit of a scare around for some of those books. And it was uh, Edward Richardson who contacted me on email, actually, and asked for books on the West Indies. So there you go, Edward. I didn't ignore you, and I stored that question up, and I have asked it to Paul, and hopefully that answer gives you, uh, uh, well, three books to buy. So there's a bit of money that you need to get together there, Edward, to get those uh, books on the West Indies. Paul, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you again. It's a while since I've seen you, and obviously because of uh, the fact we've had no cricket this summer, our paths haven't crossed the any county ground so far hopefully that changes very very soon but it's uh, been a, a real pleasure to have you on the cricket budget podcast today thank you very much for your time my pleasure too james it's been a delight thanks very much indeed i've really enjoyed it it's that badger style thank you very much indeed for paul edwards for joining me really enjoyed catching up with him and as somebody who loves the 18 counties, loves county cricket, when you hear from the likes of Paul, then we know it's in safe hands. The majority of people I've met in cricket press boxes down the years absolutely love the game. In this year, where everything has gone up in the air and all those pieces are kind of falling down in 
different orders to what we were used to. We need that love of cricket to make sure that it is preserved as we move forward into whatever this new normal brings to us. Thank you very, very much indeed to tvsportsblog.com for their support of the Cricket Badger podcast. I am talking to a few people this week, interviewing them for future editions of the Cricket Badger podcast. I've got a few already recorded as well on my laptop. So trust me, Badgers, there are some very, very big guests coming around the corner. I have been ploughing my efforts into the Cricket Badger podcast during lockdown. I have been buoyed by your positive responses and the increased numbers of listens. Trust me, the Cricket Badger podcast isn't going to go away. It's not just one that's propped up during lockdown that will disappear as soon as normal service is resumed. There are plenty of really good episodes around the corner. Please like it, subscribe to it, leave a nice comment on whatever platform you listen to it on. Stay safe everybody, thanks for listening and I'll see you next time. I'll bring you another great guest on the Cricket Badger podcast. Podcast Network. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.